I'll be reading from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 4 through 14. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I once got a, I, I'm not a brethren by birth, and I'm sure some, some people are, are very offended by that. Not at all, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm actually, uh, when I was growing up in my youth at the time, I was Disciples of Christ, so I had an opportunity to go back and speak there at my previous church. Um, and their architecture is much more high church, so you know you get behind the lecterns and everything. And I walked up to preach, and I'm looking, and everything's like this. And I'm like, and and everybody's sitting. You know, this church is built for 400 people, and there's 60 people all the way in the back. So I was like, how do I do this? I look over. The pastor, the seniors, is a couple of inches taller than me. And she says, Oh, I use this stool. So she kicks it over, and I get up on that. I start to talk. I look down in scriptures and. All I can think is, no wonder you tall people all have glasses. How do you see the Bible from that far away? <laughs> One of those things, you know. Well, thank you again for letting me come today, Corey. Uh, I, I am so, I'm so appreciative of being able to be here. Uh, I feel a little bit uh, overwhelmed at times because as I go from, from church to church, I get to meet all these wonderful people, and you guys have so many amazing people, Brenda and Diane and, and, and Jean and, and everybody in here, uh, so and you know a lot about what's going on. Uh, I was stunned when I walked in this morning, actually when I drove in and had to figure out, okay, am I at the right church? What's going on? There's three signs out there. I was not expecting that. I was I, I thought my GPS was messing with my heart. But I'll tell you what, it is, it is a beautiful sign. When you, uh, I, I got the opportunity to sit and listen to the church that's also meeting across the way, just listening to them worship. Uh, I was curious. I think uh, Diane would talk it. We were talking. They're from, uh, mostly from West Africa in the Ghana area, I think, is where it sounded like they were from. Uh, I'll tell you what, that is a beautiful sound. You do not find that in many places. And if I could figure out how to duplicate that in all of our churches, that's the first thing I would do. Uh, there's something about being together in a multicultural context that just is beautiful. I think it's holy. I think it's scriptural. Uh, and I just, I, I want to, first of all, commend you on that one, because it makes my job so much easier when I go to tell people about what God's doing around the world. 
I'm excited to tell you a little bit about what's happening. Uh, as, I, as I've traveled around, uh, again, Corey told you I'm the coordinator of global partners. That's a weird way of saying things because my, my job is very uh, nebulous in many ways. My job is to uh, connect the churches here with our partners around the world. I don't know if you know this, but we, uh, we have partners in 10 different countries, not including the U.S. and Canada. So uh, we're, we're in 10 different countries around the world, um, and it's, uh, it's a really great job to be able to connect our churches here with them, but I also have the responsibility of connecting them with each other. So I get to bridge that. Uh, I do a lot of fundraising to help do different things. Uh, I do some mentoring, and I get mentored a lot because uh, one of my postures is always to come in as I go in uh, and just sit and listen and learn. I've learned so much from our partners over the years. It's, it's an incredible journey to be on. Um, you might see me in other things because I also uh, have a couple other new roles in in. Uh, Ashland as well. I do relief, and I'm working with Ron Waters in uh, in the development aspects. So, you know, uh, short guy, lots of jobs. That's why I'm so short. It's piled up, right? Very stocky though, so I have strong back. This morning, as I was thinking about, as Corey and I were talking, you know, uh, uh, what to to speak about, and I know it's it's Pentecost Sunday, so we were talking a little bit about that. We talk about how God, uh, you know. Jesus told all of the disciples, go into the room, stay for a while, wait until uh, the Spirit comes, and the Spirit shows up, and, and they are suddenly speaking to each other, and people are able to hear in their own native languages. And I love that, that image of what God is trying to uh, produce out of the church and out of the disciples as they go out and they start preaching, because when you're in those places, Columbus, Cleveland, you have all these different groups that are around, there's a lot of different uh, languages being spoken. Can you imagine what that must have been when those disciples came out and they were speaking in those languages? Everybody was hearing them in their native language. And we spoke a little bit about that. What I want to talk about is, is not only about the idea of, of Pentecost, about the idea that God is sending his people out to do these, these miraculous things, that uh, his spirit is now indwelling in us, but also about why the church exists itself. It's so difficult sometimes, especially today, as we have moved past the era of the pandemic. And I don't know about you, but the pandemic was a, a very interesting time. My wife and I lived in Cheyenne, Wyoming for 48 years. We moved to Ashland, Ohio. First time I've ever moved out of state or even out of that city in my life. One month later, we're told, oh, by the way, you're working from home. My, yeah, my, my first uh, question to Stephen was like, so I moved 1,400 miles to, to do exactly what I was doing back in Cheyenne. Office is less than two blocks from here. I, I have to stay at home. You know, it was, it was difficult for us, but can you imagine what it was like for our partners around the world? Not only were they being shut down, but all sorts of changes were being uh, imposed while they were on, on uh, being uh, locked down. And they were also struggling with how do we communicate, you know, to the world what the church is. Because if the church isn't a place where, you know, we draw everybody to us, what is the church supposed to do? Why do we even exist? The beauty of, of the pandemic is it did give the church a little bit of a chance to stop and ask ourselves, why do we exist? What is church all about? 
What does it mean to be the church? And why do we, why are we here? I love, I love reading through the scriptures and I loved, uh, this particular passage that Brenda started out this morning, uh, with Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. You guys already know that in Samaria, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the Samaritans were not well liked by the Jews, right? They're half-breeds, they're uh, kind of shunned, and, and nobody wants to ever go through Samaria. You know, most of the times if they had to make a trip, the, the, the Hebrews of the time would try to go up and around. But Jesus had a different set of, of uh, understandings, and he took them straight through uh, Samaria. And he comes along that, to that well, and of course the, the the disciples are all off looking for food, which, you know, makes sense. It's noon and everybody's hungry. They're walking a lot of miles. And so Jesus is sitting there by the well. And Jesus has a purpose for this. You know, he's not just sitting there because he's just tired and doesn't want to go any further. He knows there's something he needs to do. And along comes this woman, shows up at the well. It's about noon. Now, I don't know if you know this, but most people don't go to the well in the heat of the day. Noon at that point is probably pretty hot. It's not a great time to go. You're walking a lot of, of, of miles. There's a particular reason this woman is showing up when she does, right? She comes to the well. Nobody should be around. And yet, here's Jesus. And what's the first thing this Jewish guy asks for? Can I have some water? Why are you talking to him? Why are you even looking? I mean, this makes no sense. You, why are you asking me these questions? And, of course, Jesus... You know, he's the master of that. And I don't know if you, you're like this at all. When I was in school, I hated it. I still hate when my dad would do this. I'd ask him a question, and he'd answer with a question. You know, and Jesus is a master of that. You know, just, he loves to, to, to answer your question with a question. You know, and, and it just it kind of, kind of annoys you after a while. But then you get to the, the deep part of it, right? And we look at, at the scriptures here in John 4 when... Uh, um, and I'm trying to find my spot now. I lowered it too much. Uh, where, where Jesus is talking, uh, talking to the woman, and and he says, and she says, you know, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Uh, where can you get this living water? Because Jesus has started to talk about this living water that he has to deliver to her, and and she says, well, where can you get this? He said, are you greater than than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become a, a, a spring, watering and welling up within uh, to eternal life. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds really great, right? If I was the woman there, I don't want to keep coming to this well because it's an embarrassing time for her to come out. Uh, she's got some issues going on, and so she's like, yeah, where can I get this? I'd, I'd love this one. Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty, and I have to keep coming here to draw water. And he tells her, go call your husband and come back. Because, you know, he's not, this is Jesus. Not only does he already know your heart, but he's also not dumb. He knows exactly why you're here at this time of the day. The woman replies, I have no husband. Jesus says to her, you're right. You are absolutely right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. I also hated that part, too, when, you know, you, you get caught. You ever had those moments in life, too, when, you know, your parents are just toying with you? 
and you know they are because they're like, yeah, I knew all about you out there at uh, at the mall with your friends. I was paying attention to that. You know, you think you're so smart. You're out there goofing around, and you don't realize that Peggy and and Bruce and Brenda are all, you know, watching because I have friends and eyes everywhere. So I know exactly what you do. Jesus is kind of like that, right? I, I, I've seen what you're doing. I, what you've said is quite true. Now, when we get caught in those moments, what do we do? Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Let's see if we can change the subject. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that we, uh, the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Not even dissuaded at all, Jesus declares, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman says, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. I love that whole interaction with, with Jesus and, and the Samaritan woman because he doesn't get this condescending, you know, like you would expect the, the rulers of the day, you know, uh, you're an untouchable, you know, how dare you live this lifestyle. But he's also not dumb. He knows the lifestyle she's chosen and is living. And he calls it out when he needs to, but he doesn't do it in a way, you know, humiliates her. But he also makes sure she understands, I see you. And I love the fact that Jesus sees and, and works this way. He's always talking to, especially the people who are avidly seeking something. Hey, I see you. And I keep forgetting, I actually have this little flipper thing. This is a new thing for me, so you'll have to forgive me for that one. When I think about the idea about what Jesus was doing here, you know, there's, there's, there's a dual uh, address, uh, addressing that uh, Jesus is doing with the, uh, with the Samaritan. You see, Jesus is, is addressing, and we're going to see if this works. Aha! Okay. You see, the woman at the well, she had some issues here, right? She was looking for love in all the wrong places. She was looking for, for, uh, for something, something that mattered. Jesus already recognized that she was one of those people that you know, was looking everywhere for everything and was really not finding anything. She had five husbands, and the guy that she was with right now wasn't her husband. Jesus was paying attention to that. You're looking all over the place. But the problem was that she was, I think, very afraid to find out what the real answer was. Because in her mind, what is it when we talk to people uh, in our own, in our own uh, walks of life who have dealt with this stuff? They're afraid that they're unlovable. They're terrified of the answers. Have you ever been in those moments when you really, really don't want to know what the answer is to something? Sometimes it's when we're going through uh, moments, whether it's at, we're with a doctor uh, or, or things like that. I talked to my mom a while back, and uh, she had sent me all of my records from when I was growing up. And I found it fascinating because, again, I'm not the tallest guy in the room. So I was curious to see what all, you know, what, what all they were doing, why. And several times, uh, they actually, the doctors told my parents, hey, 
have him go to Little People of America. I think this will be very helpful for him. My sister's three inches shorter than I am, so this will be very helpful. My mom never did, and I asked her why, and she said, I didn't want to believe it was true. And I was afraid that, you know, people would look at us even worse. Again, I was, you know, seven or eight, so I'm not sure how anybody's going to look at me different, but okay. Um, and I was really angry with my mom for a while, but then I realized my mom was no different than the Samaritan, Samaritan woman. She was trying to, to figure things out on her own, and she's trying to do it by herself, and she was terrified of the answers. And I think that's a problem, is that so often when we look around the world around us, people are looking for answers, and they're terrified of them at the same time. That's what the church is existing for. The church is helping them, but you know what? People are terrified of the church, sometimes for good reason. Eh, we don't do things so well sometimes. And other times, it's simply because once I find that answer, well, I want to know what it is that, we, that, that you're going to tell me. When you look at this, Jesus addresses this on two planes, right? He addresses the physical pieces of things, right? Jesus is talking. He's thirsty. I need some water. So he talks to the, to the Samaritan woman. And they talk about the physical thing. Hey, it's a deep well. Well, you've got nothing to draw with. That's cool stuff, right? But all that time, the whole point of him being there has nothing to do with whether he was actually physically thirsty or not. He knew that she was spiritually thirsty. And he used that moment to present the spiritual side of things, to work through some of those things. He presented and offered her living water. And I think that is exactly what the church is all about. That's the question people keep asking all the time. When I travel around the world, this is the question that people want to know. Hey, is God still doing this? Now, what do you guys think? Is the church still offering living water to people around us? Do we still see that happening? It feels different sometimes, right? And I know in the divided world that we live in, it's a struggle to figure out what that living water looks like because sometimes it's got little additions and add-ons, and sometimes I look back going, oh, my goodness, well, how did we get back to the biblical times? And then I realize it really hasn't changed. It's been that way the whole time. If you're just younger, you don't see all those things. You know, you you got to love when you go through the hard times because when the great times come and it's a lot easier, you go, wow. Now I can look back and see where God's at play in the entire thing. Well, the world around us, is, as I've talked to our partners around the world, uh, has really been focused on this one thing. Is God still offering living water? And if he is, what does that look like? How does that, how does that uh, uh, connect in? And I love talking to our par partners because sometimes they give us perspective. Um, you know, the beauty of having a multicultural church, and that's why I was loving listening to the, to the group out there as they were singing and praising, you know, it was totally different. We're sitting here singing to, uh, uh, to a guitar. I could hear them doing the, the, the drums. Uh, earlier this morning, there was some chanting going on. And what I really was enjoying was the fact that I started listening to the, the beat of the drum and went, uh-huh, it's a heartbeat. Bump, bump, bump. Bump, bump, bump. And I was going, so they're, they're engaging that type of thing. They're engaging that, that heartbeat, that rhythm to pull people into a place of worship. And the beauty is across the world, that's what we're seeing, right? We're beginning to see those. And the, and the issue is, though, is that, is that all over the world, the lockdown, especially the, the pandemic, shifted things. And they didn't know what they were going to do. And yet they suddenly sat down with Christ, sat down with God, with the Holy Spirit, start praying, start asking, okay, what do we do? 
Let me tell you a couple of stories because I don't like doing information dumps. So I could tell you everything that's going on in the world. We'd be here for about five more hours. Um, I don't think you'd want to do that. But let me tell you a couple of cool stories about what God is doing around the world. When I got a chance to go to India, uh, Stephen Cole, the executive director, and I got a chance to go to a couple of the uh, 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 sewing schools. And, you know, you go to those things, and again, there's two-fold piece of what they do in India for that whole thing. The idea of going to the sewing school is one, is to address the physical stuff, right? The ladies who come there, they're looking to improve their lives for their family. They may have kids, they, they, they're, they're Husbands may or may not be involved. Uh, they're trying to learn some skills to pick themselves up. So that's the first thing they do. Let us help you address the physical things so that you can understand the spiritual things and receive the water that you really need to drink. I'm going to give you this water so that you can receive the water you really need. In this, I loved what I loved about this was uh, our trip there. We sat in the uh, in Rajamundri. We're sitting in this room with all these ladies, and there's it's all decorated with all the different things that they've sewn. And most of us think, oh, that's, you know, that's a great thing. Well, th- this type of training allows them to take a test that is a government test that allows them to work in almost any uh, industry that they want. They can work in the factories. They can start their own business. It's a big deal, right? But what was amazing about this particular trip is there are about 18 ladies in this room, and we're sitting there, and I met a young lady by the name of Ganja. And Ganja uh, knew about the Messiah, and now she knows the Messiah. Well, we were standing there, uh, and, and Nirmala was talking about all the things they were doing uh, and was introducing us to the class, um, and they were talking about maybe doing a little bit of testimony about, you know, has this helped? you what has this done for you um you know what have you learned all the time ganja stands up and she starts talking about some uh some amazing things i'm going to show you a picture of her uh ganja is right there next to Dinamala. i love the the colorful saris that they wear too uh the men are very sober um but the the women wear these beautiful bright colored saris I saw the first and only tie-dye burka i have ever seen in my life in, in rajamundri um I wanted to take a picture that's not appropriate, but boy, did I want to take a picture because that was cool. Uh, Ganja got up and she asked if she could t- give a testimony. And we originally, she was going to talk to us, but she didn't. She didn't look at Stephen and I. She actually turned around and talked to the class. And her, her story basically was, when I came here, I was a perfect Hindu. And she goes on to talk about she has a couple of kids. Her husband lost his job. I don't know what he was doing, uh, but he started becoming a drunk. And he started, you know, uh, being very abusive. Then he started coming home later and later and later. Now he doesn't even show up. And she's got two kids to take care of. Her husband's never around. And again, you know, you have to have funds to do things. So she was trying to figure out how to do this. And she was hoping that the gods, you know, India is called the land of a thousand gods. And it's with good reason. Everywhere you go, there are temples and shrines. And, you know, uh, I don't know what what everything is. But, man, if you're afraid of something, you probably find a, a shrine to something in there for that. And she would go by and she would make the sacrifices and she would, you know, and, and try to appease whatever, whatever is uh, going on, whatever is causing all these issues in her life. And she would walk along and do those things. And one day she came up and found this thing about, hey, come to the Brethren Compound and uh, join this, uh, come, come in and learn how to sew. And she said, at her last point, I will do whatever it takes. So she went in there and they have very few rules, right? Rules are you show up. You participate, 
you get engaged, you learn, so you got to do all the stuff, and, you know, one of the things they don't, uh, they, they let them know is we do pray, and we do teach a little bit about our beliefs. Well, again, perfect Hindu, right? So she's not a stranger to some of these things, to learning, you know, okay, I will, I'll learn how to pray better and, and those types of things. And as Ganja became part of this class, she really got engaged with what was going on, but she was curious because, you know, who's this Jesus? In the, in the Hindu uh, faith, you can put Jesus, everybody can believe in Jesus, you throw him up on the pantheon. There's a thousand gods, what's one more? Okay, so I'll put Jesus up there and we'll pray to him too. But the interesting thing is the longer she was in this class and the more she was learning about who this Jesus was and just how much he loved her, the more that that idea of living water became a reality for her. And she started to engage in all of that. Well, Ganja uh, eventually um, started, started taking, her bio, taking a Bible. She got a Bible in her own language uh, and she took it home and she was reading some stuff. And the night before we got there, she had a dream. In the dream, the Spirit woke her up and said, Look in Jeremiah, there's a promise I have for you. So she woke up, she opens up the Bible, and she looks at the Scripture, she reads the passage, and I wish I could tell you, I think it's Jeremiah 26, but I'm probably wrong in this moment. She looks at it, and here's what it says. I will be your God, and you will be my God. And she stood up and looked at all the students and said, This is a God, He saw me. He saw me and he's going to be my God. And she's wiping away all the other thousand gods and she says, I believe in this. That living water that we're talking about, that's what that church is offering. And she is receiving that fully, but not just tell, just taking the, the water in for herself. She's passing along to everybody around her. You need to know this Jesus is real. To sit there and see that was just amazing. To hear what was going on afterwards as she was talking about things and leading, uh, she got to lead prayer a couple of times and how important that was to her. I think that's, that's amazing when we look at it. Let me tell you a story about a guy named Freddie. Freddie's from Colombia. Uh, Freddie was a gang leader. And he was kind of a pretender. Now he grew up knowing the word because, you know, his family was in the church. But Freddie didn't really care. Just wanted to appease mom. Who doesn't, right? If mom's not happy, nobody's happy. So we'll make mom happy. We'll go to church. But when I'm not around mom, I'm do all my stuff, right? Freddie ran the streets. He got into the gangs. He started learning how to lead things. And, of course, he rose to the top. You know what the problem with being a gang member is, especially when you get into that kind of a rank? Not only are you always looking at the next level, you're trying to figure out how to get to the, to the next spot, somebody behind you is always looking at your spot. Well, Freddie kind of ran into that. His mom and, he and his mom were talking, uh, were talking a little bit one day, and his mom was like, Freddie, if you don't get out of this, you're going to end up dead. You need to know Jesus. You need to understand, I don't just go to church. I belong there. It's part of something. God wants to offer you something important. Freddie kind of kept holding her off at arm's distance. Then one day, as he's uh, being called by his lieutenants into an alley, by the way, you should never go to a dark alley when you don't know where everybody is, uh, and Freddie was proof of that, uh, he was shot at. And not only was he shot at, he was hit several times. And he made it to the hospital. 
and they were able to remove the bullets. He showed me the scars that he had, and uh, we were talking a little bit about that. He said he recognized right then, if I don't leave this, I'm dead. And so he went and he talked to his mom, and he started talking to her about wanting to give his life over to God and wanting to change that. Ironically, Freddie, Freddie's now a worship leader at one of the churches. Uh, he uh, teaches English. Gang leader to English teacher. That's, there's a, there's a twit for you, right? And everywhere he goes, he talks about God. He talks about that living water. And he talks about how it was that Christ came to him in his moment of need. Changed his life. Now, I would love to tell you that's just their thing, but guess what? When we look at all the pieces and we put it all together, what God is doing there, has done in Colombia, done in India, done around the world, he's done partly because you participated. That's what I love about this. When I talk about global partners, I, treat, I, I completely and totally mean global partners. The church here in the U.S. has some great stuff. And one of the great contributions that we have sometimes is resources. But that's not the only thing we can do. We pray. We encourage. We connect. And that has changed lives all over the world. Going to these places and sharing with them, it, we get this opportunity to understand that the living water that they're seeking is living water that we're pouring out. And I love when I see churches who, especially I've gone to several of them who are really, really struggling. Their churches in their you know fifties and sixties, and they're like, you know, we're dying. We don't know what we're gonna, what we're doing. And they look at them and say, let me tell you something. There are churches around the world who have less than you, who are just as scared as you are but they're being called out to continue to give living water because that's really what we're doing. The Holy Spirit is providing that living water worldwide. When you participate, when you're engaged, and, and, and I, I know who I'm talking to, I'm preaching to the choir here because, you know, literally walking in, seeing this, seeing all the things you guys do, I'm overwhelmed and excited, and, and, and I love the fact I get to call you, this church, a uh, uh a partner in all of this. So what does that look like to do that living, uh, provide living water around the world? I want to show you a couple of cool pictures. It means preaching and teaching, right? Let me tell you some of these cool things. That pastor on the, I'm trying to remember which side, left side, uh, for, for everybody up here, is right on mine. Uh, that's Juan Carlos Poletti, Paraguay. Now, again, I was telling you about the church, some of the churches I've been to that are trying to figure out, you know, we're churches of, we're older people, we're retired, there's only 40 or 50 of us. Welcome to his church. In the middle of Asuncion, Paraguay, trying to figure out what to do. And I got connected with him in uh, Argentina and in Colombia uh, as we came together. But what really struck me was when the pandemic came across, they were trying to figure out how to sell their church building to go into a smaller one. They didn't know what to do. And they're, they're older, they're tired, they're not sure what God's calling to do. Does he really want us to provide living water? The pandemic shows up and they, and they go into a room, much like the disciples, and they start to pray. And they say, God, what do you want us to do? And his response to them was, feed my sheep. So they got up, and they went out to a little, little uh, barrio, little neighborhood, uh, with people who are mostly day laborers, and they started feeding people one time a day, all through the week, with a little extra on Friday, trying to make sure they had some stuff to carry them through the weekend. 
And as businesses and industry started shutting down more and more and more, more and more people are no longer having any place to go to work, and they're struggling for income, so more and more people are in the neighborhood all week long, and how do we help them? So they pray, and God just tells them, feed my sheep. And in conjunction with, with partnerships here in the U.S. and partnerships they started making, they started doing more, and they started reaching out more. By the height of the pandemic, they were feeding 800 people twice a day, including the weekends. But not only that, out of that, as people started asking them, why are you doing this? God loves you, and he wants us to be a part of you. So we came to feed, and to let you know, if you want real water, big water, we can provide that to you. They planted not one, not two, not three, but four churches in the middle of the pandemic. The three people right there are all pastors of different little churches. They're not huge, but they're starting. And now they're creating a pastor's council so they can encourage each other. I love these stories. What is God calling us to do? God's calling us as we go and give living water to... to uh, uh, lay on hands and pray for people worldwide, right? When you look at these pictures, uh, you see in, the, in these pictures, you'll see Argentina, South Africa, and uh, Paraguay. Paraguay, is that, that's how they first started, was just doing some Bible studies. In Argentina, they had a, had a group of, of kids and young adults who came forward one day, said, we want to dedicate our lives to Christ, and and they're laying on as they're preparing to pray, uh, or preparing for baptism, and they can, they're going to do it after baptism, which is even more fun. Um, but watching that, South Africa, South Africa is the one that just blows me away because we didn't really have any partners there until recently because of our connection with Ashland University and the Isaiah Project and all the work that others did before. Um, there are technically nine churches that have started, Pastor Sandale has now begun, has, has, has been working through the ordination process and is now going to, uh, it's been approved for ordination. He'll be the first brethren pastor in, uh, in South Africa. And then he's going to pass it on. Um, but here's the exciting thing. My daughter was there. She was there for four months. That was one of the pictures she sent me back. It's they're praying over people who are looking, just looking for something different. Um, out of uh, all these groups that they started working with, there are 13 other pastors who are now entering in the ordination process behind the original nine. And they're already talking about where will God call us next? Because Sandale's vision isn't just South Africa. These are men and women from Kenya, Mozambique, Malawi. Uh, there's a gentleman at the at the uh, uh, seminary now from Tanzania who says, how do we get connected with you guys? I can't wait to introduce you to Sandale. That is what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to, to lay on hands and to pray and to preach. And when we do these types of things, living water is given everywhere. God is calling us to plant churches. Again, this is just one of the pictures that they have. Uh, and what I love about this, by the way, there are men and women. They're ordaining both. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Uh, in South, Africa, or South, uh, South America and Argentina, we're seeing a whole new group of, of leaders coming up. 
We see around the world that because people are accepting that call and they're moving forward, we see people getting re- getting into the waters of baptism. Remember that part that we were talking about? I love the story. And it added 3,000 people. I wish I could see it. I would, I would kill to see that happen. 3,000 in one day. Uh, we haven't seen that yet, but I'll tell you what. Around the world, even in the middle of the pandemic, they started figuring out new ways to do things and been uh, baptizing. Uh, and and, uh, and my favorite part is on the top left, that is in uh, Puerto Maldonado, Peru, uh, and they're doing foot washing. By the way, uh, foot washing in South Africa, that, that is hysterical uh, because, again, you, know, you can imagine some of the things they, they work through. Pastors there in other places, they set themselves up pretty high because it's how they were taught. So, hey, let's, let's rule the roost. This idea of, no, no, that's reversed. If you're a pastor, you're a servant. And this, this belief, this, this tradition, this, this image of God that we carry on as brethren of washing one another's feet, that has become central to what they want to show. Because if you're going to be in with us, you need to understand that once you start on this path, you don't get to be king. You get to be servant. Around the world, we're seeing all sorts of uh, amazing things happen because uh, God calls us as we are giving living water to make disciples. What does it say in Matthew 28? Go and make disciples. While you're going, make disciples of all nations, right? Uh, this is uh, in the Philippines. Their 20th anniversary was this year. So they combined all the groups. Um, they've got, like, I want to say six churches. It was 10, but the pandemic caused them to kind of bring things together. Now they're getting ready to, because uh, we started talking about some new things. They're getting ready to create another church slash headquarters because they suddenly realized, oh, we should be spreading out more. So, and uh, they're going to be with us. By the way, how many of you are going to conference this year? Anybody? I know you guys are. Okay. Well, the cool thing is, and I'll let you know when it happens, um, we're going to have two get, two sets of guests this year and in the area. The Kumars, uh, Sudhir and Latha, will be with us. And the Mkwanazi family, which is from South Africa, uh, Sandale, Abby, and their four kids will be with us as well. We'll be around the area. So pay attention. You might get an invitation to come and do a gathering somewhere. Uh, and I hope you come because these guys, these, they're amazing people. They have so much to teach us. Well, apparently we're making disciples twice. So... <laughs> But ultimately, this is what God is calling the church to do, right? We're called to change lives and quench thirst. As partners around the world, we are called to help and and reach out to one another, to pray for one another, to lift one another up. When we have resources we we can spare and can use, let's do that. Let's do that. And when we see that, we see what's beginning to happen in India. India, by the way, has changed tremendously over the last uh, last couple of years. Uh, they're very anti-Christian in many areas. Andhra Pradesh is probably the most Christianized area, so it's not a, as prevalent, but it's already starting. The kids don't get to go back to the orphanage like they used to. They have to, they have to work that out. But you know what? People are now looking even more at... Who is this Jesus? Because while we were in the middle of the pandemic, we prayed to all of our gods and no one came to, to our help. When we prayed and we talked to, to people at the church, they reached out with little they had and offered even that. 
Their mala was telling me their Easter services, they had 1,300 people at the compound in Rajamundra at three different services. That's not real. That's amazing. That's God. The reality is this. The world is thirsty. The world is desperate to hear our stories. So many times, and it's not your church, so I'm not going to say it's your church. It's other churches, right? So many times we want to just sit here in our, in our uh, uh, auditoriums. We want to sit in our sanctuaries. We want to sit in our pews. I like that they, they you know, have pews that have names on that. Uh, <laughs> you always get concerned when you're sitting in somebody's memorial pew because that makes you a little nervous. Either there's a ghost sitting there or there's a curse on that. And I, I don't believe in either, but I like joking about that. Um, you know, but we want to stay where it's safe. And we've turned our sanctuaries and our, and our buildings into places that have battlements and have, you, know, you almost sometimes expect there's going to be machine guns on there, keeping away the people that don't look like us. Instead of saying, hey, we're not called to sit here, we're called to be out there. I noticed when I turned around, I was looking around the building, and I, I saw the, the uh, sign right over the door. You're now entering the mission field, and I thought, yes, I need about 1,000 of those. Actually, okay, I only need 110. Um, but I, I want to take those to every brother in church and plaster that right above the door uh, as, as I leave, because that's what it's all about. God is calling us to go out, to take the faith that we have here, the lessons that we learn, the fellowship that we develop, and take it out there. To tell other people about what God has done to us. What I love about this scripture about the, with the Samaritan woman is it doesn't just end with her saying stuff and Jesus says, I'm he. But what it ends with is her getting so excited, she runs back to the town, and starts knocking on doors and telling everybody, come, you guys need to come and meet this guy who told me everything about me, including the, the crummy stuff that I don't want to tell anybody. You've got to meet this guy, it's amazing. And of course, everybody's like, what is she on? What is she talking about? No, 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 don't, don't ask me silly questions, just come. So the whole town marches up to the well to see what in the world this crazy... Levy is asking and talking about, and there they get to meet Jesus. We need to be those kind of people that we don't care about our past. We don't care about the, uh, the embarrassing stuff. Every one of us has embarrassing stuff. God doesn't care about that. That's why he said, yeah, I know what you did. But I've taken that from you. I've freed that from you. Use those as lessons to tell other people. When you're with friends and family, be honest and open about it. The world is thirsty. Here's the question. Who are you sharing your water with? That's what God's calling us to do. Whether it's here in Columbus and this, this particular area, is it actually called Smoky Row? Is this the, the, the town or is it just the road? Okay, I, I was curious. I was just try, trying to check. Towns are very different in, in Wyoming. I, you know, I, I, I got to tell you that. I, I still have a hard time when I'm driving along and all of a sudden there's another town. I'm like, where did that come from? You know, we don't have trees everywhere, so I do get a little claustrophobic at times. But the question really is, who are you sharing your water with? When you leave here today, who has God placed in your, in your, in your life that you can go and have and share those stories with? 
And by the way, there is no such thing as retirement in the Bible. As Christians, you don't get to, to sit back and say, okay, it's somebody else's job. Yeah, you might have retired from, you know, from your other, your other work. Some people decide they want to stay busy enough to do three or four jobs. So, you know, along the way, <clears throat> as they go along. But in the Christian faith, we are all called to continually make disciples and to pray for one another. First of all, on behalf of all of your partners around the world, thank you for what you do for them. Because of your faith, because of your prayers, because of your generosity, because you think about them, God is doing stuff with them. And you know what? They're sharing back. Our partner wait to be a part of what we're doing because there are things that the church here lacks. They want to give us some spades. This Holy Spirit thing, we struggle with it some days, don't we? They got that. They got it going on in spades. What can we can learn from that? South Africa, what can we offer you? Uh, we need some structure. We don't know how to do this. I did not send them memory. Who are you sharing your, your story with? Can I pray for you? Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity we have today just to hear about what you're doing around the world through this congregation. Sometimes we don't recognize that, that when we simply pray, when we put a dollar in the plate for, for missions or for, for global partners or for, for what the church is doing uh, as a whole throughout the, even the U.S., Lord, that it really makes a difference, that it changes lives. Father, it, it is tremendous, and it has an impact that resounds not only through today, eternity. There will be people rejoicing at the feast who, who will be there because we prayed for it. You get to say that, was, that part of our story is their story, and part of their story is our story. What a mix. What a lovely lovely way to see the whole of what you see. We just see the pieces. But you see the entire tapestry. What a beautiful thing that must be. Father, thank you for this congregation. and Thank you for um, the wonderful people who are here that share this facility with other churches and other ministries looking to, to do work, to do your work, to give living water to the community. What a blessing and what an honor. I thank you so much for, for sharing that. Father, I thank you that as we leave here today, that sign above the door says, now entering the mission field. That is true. When we leave here, we are now engaged. And on the same path, the disciples followed Jesus on. Right through Samaria. Lord, put the woman at the well in our, play, in, in our road today that we might share living water with her and her children and their family. That all would come to know you. In Christ's name, amen.